0: Welcome to ABA On Tap, where our goal is to find the best recipe to brew the smoothest, coldest, and best-tasting ABA around. I'm Dan Lowry with Mike Rubio, and join us on our journey as we look back into the ingredients to form the best concoction of ABA On Tap. In this podcast, we will talk about the history of the ABA brew, how much to consume to achieve the optimum buzz while not getting too drunk, and the recommended pairings to bring to the table. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and always analyze responsibly.
1: All right, all right. Welcome yet again to ABA on Tap. I am one of your hosts, Mike Rubio, along with Daniel Lowry. Dan, how you doing?
0: Doing good, Mike. Fresh into that uh, stage two quarantine. Ready to podcast, though, brother.
1: So, back. Back into the shell. Back into the shelter, yes? Um, Yes, sir. In California, and by professional decision, uh, for both of us, um, maybe considering ourselves fortunate enough to be practicing from home uh, exclusively right now and not uh, uh, involved in in in-home. So... Uh, probably a separate conversation. We've had one already about that. Maybe we'll delve back into that at some point in the future. But for today, we've got a nice uh, next organic part of our progression here. I like the way our conversations uh, have been unfolding in terms of our uh, building conversation on different aspects of ABA. Last time talking about differential reinforcement and almost naturally leading to today's discussion on antecedent-based strategies. So, whenever we talk about or we mention that moniker, immediately, you know, priving and discussing behavioral expectations, non-contingent reinforcement, uh, environmental arrangement, which maybe we'll we'll spend a lot of, of time discussing today. These are all common terms that we kick around but by and large, we could fairly say that, that, or we could say fairly that we, in practice, are largely consequence based. So you and I decided that we want to spend some time on this idea of antecedent based strategies and uh, take a little time to delineate the technology, which I'll pass over to you in just a second. But by and large and overall, take time to, to create three, four, maybe three overarching solid points about why we need to make a clear shift as practitioners into more antecedent-based approaches and discussions. So with that, Dan, you know, chaining, task analysis, all things, and maybe those two don't, we don't consider as much as antecedent-based strategies, so give us a little overview of the technology and uh, how you see it fitting into actual practice these days.
0: Yeah, uh, those are clearly antecedent strategies, right? A task analysis is preemptively breaking the skill or the task down. So that's certainly an antecedent strategy. But I think if we're approaching um, ABA um, specifically for individuals with ASD, but obviously it's not uniquely for individuals with ASD, but if they're coming from a deficit model and a model of lacking some skills, we should probably start to teach those skills and reinforce when those skills occur Rather than just reinforcing or punishing when the maladaptive behaviors occur. Um, because it's interesting, because from the medical perspective, we get a referral when an individual is having deficits. Um, and parents know sometimes the deficits, but man, when we do that first assessment, it's all about the, um, excesses and the things that they're doing that we don't want, uh, the parents don't want them to do. So it's important that we focus on, um, setting up the situation, because either way, If we're talking about the deficit model, we need to teach the skills and that's done proactively or preemptively. And if we're talking about the maladaptive behaviors that we're trying to reduce, well, we're going to have to find something to take its place like we talked about last episode in differential reinforcement. So like you always talk about, we're going to have to rewrite that script either way. And it's very difficult. Like you say, parents leave well enough alone. So it's very difficult to get out in front of the, the skills right I can't tell you how many parents I have that every single night at five o'clock when they say it's time to do homework and I know I keep coming back to this analogy but they do it in the same way in the same time at the same place every single time and wonder why it doesn't work well let's try to get out in front of it and work on some of these antecedent-based strategies which is going to make your life as a parent a lot easier as a therapist a lot easier it's going to have the kid engage in the skill that you want them to engage in so that it can get reinforced and increase. Otherwise, the, skill, the individual is going to be engaging in the skill you don't want them to engage in. And then best case scenario, all we can do is get that down to zero. Worst case scenario, we're going to inadvertently reinforce that, and that's going to increase. There's kind of my, uh, my soapbox there on antecedent strategies. Let me, uh, let me pass it back to you, and we can get kind of into the nitty-gritty of it.
1: Okay, Mr. Dan, you cover a lot of ground there, a lot of good ground. Um, You gave a really strong uh, and clear allusion to our third point in terms of antecedent-based overarching strategies or how we're going to combine these in terms of rewriting the script. And I think we've alluded to that before in other um, episodes. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. But it becomes a very, very important aspect of what we're talking about now with regard to shifting the paradigm. So you mentioned something very important. We're not just a reductive effort. We come in and certainly reduce or work to uh, decrease the emission of certain undesired behaviors. Yes, from a deficit model, it's usually why we're called in. But by and large, in working to reduce those deficits or undesired behaviors, we're going to have to teach something. Something will have to be acquired in that sense so um, with the idea of setting up behavioral expectations dan what what do you think is the most important thing as an overarching antecedent based strategy or procedure that parents and or professionals should be considering
0: i think the most important thing is to not assume that the individual has any idea what that situation is going to entail so if you're playing a game not just teaching the game rules, but teaching the social skills, teaching the waiting, teaching the turn-taking, uh, teaching the, you don't always get the first choice of your piece or to go first. All of those things. If you're, um, I think a great example would be these com- the computer and distance learning that we're engaging in now. Um, for some reason, parents thought that as of March 16th, the child would have an understanding that this computer, which has been a play toy for the last eight years of this kid's life for however long they've been alive, the child will magically somehow know that this is now an educational toy. Um, so not assuming that just because you know something, someone else also knows that. That would be the number one, um, and, and explain it at nauseum so the individual, doesn't mean the individual is gonna follow you, but at least we'll know that it won't do, not it
1: can't do. So in essence, if I'm following you correctly, we've got some undesired behaviors, some of those to start, for example, and, and that's usually the, the case is, as we've been discussing, and in order to, we wanna reduce those behaviors. In order to reduce those behaviors, we don't just work on them in a vacuum. We have to increase something else and in increasing something else, there may not be something to increase, but something to first teach, and then increase the emission, and subsequently therein, see a reduction in the undesired behaviors. And it's not one functionally equivalent replacement behavior, but it's functionally equivalent replacement behaviors, FERBs, as we like to say, for short. <laughs> so. This kind of leads us to our overarching premise, and I'll let you add your uh, two to five cents to this. So we, we have to pick these replacement behaviors. We have to define the function, define equivalent, functionally equivalent and desirable or socially significant acceptable behaviors. And then beyond that, what do we have to do? So this is all antecedent-based planning now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we're talking about consequence bases here, but... We're diversifying ahead of time, and we're doing all this pre-planning to set up, to define functions, to define equivalent socially significant replacement behaviors, and then lastly, what else would you do there? Yeah, you have
0: to know what you want. That's the important thing, right? I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, kids... Um, maybe not playing a turn, uh, taking game the right way or something. And they're not waiting a minute for the turn. They're waiting 10 seconds, but not a minute. And the therapist is like, no, you have to wait a minute. And then the kid flips out and they're like, well, if you just wait 10 seconds, then you can have your turn. It's like, know what you're willing to as- uh, accept in the beginning. That's that functionally equivalent replacement behavior. And if it's self-regulation, for example, maybe that individual is not ready to take five deep breaths or say, Hey, I need a break. Maybe it's hitting a pillow. Maybe it's instead of just knocking over the pieces, maybe it's running away. I don't know. Any sort of behavior that's in the direction of the terminal behavior that you want to see. And you got to know what that is in the beginning. Because so often I'll see an RBT or a parent negate the exact behavior that they're going to later accept. Not knowing, obviously, at the time that they're going to later accept it. But know kind of the spectrum of things you're willing to accept ahead of time. And in order for it to be an appropriate replacement behavior, it has to hit three criteria. It has to serve the same function, take the same or less effort, and uh, acquire the same or greater reinforcement. Uh, so, before I go uh, further into that, let me pass it back over to you, Mike. It seemed like uh, you wanted to hop in there, sir.
1: I was actually sorry, I'm just delineating. We're watching each other on Zoom here as we uh, stay as safe as possible. But no, you hit you hit it right on the head as as uh, you went over those three criteria. And that kind of wraps up nicely our first overarching point here in the importance of antecedent-based strategies, and I'm going to try to summarize this for us as best as possible. So initially, we're setting up to demonstrate that replacement behaviors, uh, specifically functionally equivalent ones, will receive greater reinforcement than so-called undesired behavior. What would you add to that? That's so important.
0: So the the, the three, obviously, that serves the same function, same or less effort. But that third one, man, the same or greater reinforcement. Again, no parent ever says, I'm going to give in when my kids scream. But I used to work with a client who pulled hair pretty significantly, right? And when this individual wanted to get attention, this individual would pull hair. What percent of the time, and this was a a pretty large, um, you know, adolescent individual, what percent of the time that this individual pulled hair, do you think this individual got attention, Mike? Every time, hundred percent, hundred percent of the time, right? What percent of the time do you think that when this individual talked, because this individual could talk, they got attention.
1: It probably varied. It probably wasn't a hundred percent. Like it exactly, wasn't right? 100%. Yeah.
0: Same thing with the clients, that we, the, the kids, right? Crying versus asking for a break or asking for mom's attention, right? Uh, a parent doesn't say, I'm going to give my kid attention when they cry. They ignore for a little bit, but eventually they give in. So from a kid's perspective, why would I ever go tap you on your shoulder when I can just sit here in my comfy couch and cry and get your attention? So we have to make sure that that desired behavior is reinforced more so than that undesired behavior.
1: How does that fit into something that I know is evasive for me, but I think fits right in here, and and, and please elaborate, the idea of, from an antecedent perspective, non-contingent reinforcement. I know that's a phrase that gets kicked around a lot. That's a phrase that's defining our technology. Talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, it it means just hanging out with your kid, man, just like giving... Your kid some reinforcement. And I think in ABA, we have pigeonholed ourselves so much under the tangible reinforcement realm with they can be hanging based. out with us. But unless they're getting their iPad, they're not getting reinforced. But what about just hanging out with you? Isn't that reinforced? Isn't that why the kid was screaming an hour ago? Because they just wanted the parents' attention? They're so just giving that individual attention. And it's the exact opposite. So it's, instead of setting up a contingency, to then get reinforced there's always a contingency going because you're always getting reinforced until you engage in the maladaptive behavior then i remove my reinforcement but and so you're always getting reinforced so that's why these parents that are saying when the kids get older well my kid uh, always has to earn something in order to do anything it's like well when you're younger why don't you flip that script and they just get things until they're not doing what you want them to do and then you remove yourself or whatever it is, and they're like, whoa, why aren't I getting this anymore? Then, we, then we've got kind of a discussion versus they start tantruming, and now we start throwing all these contingencies on them after the fact is a consequence.
1: The idea of uh, behavior chaining kind of fits in here, kind of doesn't. The idea that you're planning from an antecedent base um, is, is good, and I like the way you, you just covered a lot of ground. I like the way you put it, that we're always looking at some sort of escape in our reinforcement. You do something, I give you something, and then you go off for a while, and you do <laughs> that thing, right? Especially like now about, quarantine. What I like about chaining in terms of ensuring that replacement behaviors are modeled, carried out, and received equal or greater reinforcement is that it sets an awesome expectation for all of us. And something that parents do anyway with undesired behaviors, which is they expect, well, maybe they don't expect it, but they're there the entire time. And I think that as an antecedent, that's a really good thing to think about here as we think about how we're going to teach these replacement behaviors. You have to be there the entire time. So like with backward chaining, you're going to walk through every single step of the sequence, and then at some point, you're going to let loose of that last one. And then you're going to go back stepwise, backward. And, and we like that phrase. I know that we've talked about it before, but expect to be there the entire time. And in that, You're providing that very non-contingent attention, if you will, that we're talking about. And you're able to then vacillate and differentially reinforce certain behaviors. So let's talk about other ways of pre-planning, something that I saw during the session today.
0: Hang on. Let me um, go go back to that non-contingent point that you just brought up because I just want to elaborate because that's such a great point. We take individuals, again, predominantly diagnosed with ASD that often have social delays. Um, and this actually brings a lot of validity to what Chloe talked about and we addressed in previous episodes or Alfie Cohn talked about that we will address in further episodes, future episodes, is this concept of the child needs to do something. They need to earn our acceptance. Um, and compliance is the key. And I think that does happen sometimes in ABAs. These contingencies become so powerful that the child's only going to get our acceptance as the consequence based strategy for doing something that we want. And that's where the non-contingent reinforcement comes in is that, no, you're going to get these social, you don't have to earn my social interaction. You're going to get my social interaction. So it's not always contingent. Um, It's like Mike, if I were to say like, okay, the only time we're going to ever hang out is if you give me $5 and then we'll hang out. Eventually you're like, no, I don't, you only want to hang out with me.
1: Um, 250, if, 250, if, yeah, two bucks, fifty two oh, fifty three bucks yeah. three three seventy five three seventy five <laughs> oh sorry selling it far, sorry yeah. I, I digress um so you you make a really really good point right there and so
0: in in addition to that, the other thing to consider is when you talk about rewriting the script, you wouldn't see a a record or a producer or director say like all right here's your script. Go ahead and ad lib it. And then afterwards be like, Nope, let's do it a whole different way. You would see the producer producer director, give them the script that they want them to do initially so that they have it. Otherwise, why, why would you waste? It? It's stupid. If you have something that you want in your head already to say like, all right, you go ahead and ad lib it. I know I'm going to correct you now. Like why, why would you do that? So doing it on the front end, that in a seat portion Giving them the script you want them to do ahead of time is gonna get the desired result and save a whole lot of time.
1: So somewhere in following the script, let, let's think about this idea again. From the whole nature of, of, of expecting to be there the whole time, um, uh, of, of planning all these, these efforts toward um, replacement behaviors, functionally equivalent replacement behaviors, as, as you're teaching the script, then what we're also saying is, as a director, you might, especially with a learner, you know, I don't think Hollywood directors work this way. They, they t- tend to carry pretty bad reputations uh, you know, for being dictators or, or not very kind people. But what we're saying with our learners here is we have to differentially reinforce something, and we have to plan for that. So if I've given you a script and you didn't follow the line by line or your timing was off... The idea is that I'm 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 there the whole time, I'm attentive the whole time, and I'm also needing to find something in your line delivery that did work as opposed yeah. to just going, no, 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 <laughs> no. And, and, and I can well and, and I can say that and laugh along with you, and then I can also kind of recognize myself as a parent and, and kind of, you know, I I happened to see this today and and, and had a little bit of a thought of of how to plan on on telling your child as you do homework with them, or they ask you to help them with a math problem, for example, how it is you plan on telling them, no, you're wrong. You, You got the wrong answer. So you did everything right except for that last operation and no. So now ultimately the answer is not wrong. You showed your work. You lined up your equal signs. You did it nicely. All your procedures are great, but that answer is wrong. There's a lot to be reinforced there. But if we're not careful and planful, myself included, I'll end up going, no, that's wrong. And now all the right stuff that was in there, just because that answer is not precise, receives little to no reinforcement. So I think that's a really important thing we've happened upon here in discussing this, how to be planful in your antecedent-based strategies as you define functions and your functionally equivalent replacement behaviors and how you're differentially reinforcing any aspect of those towards shaping desired behavior and reinforcing it equal or greater than uh, what the undesired behavior is receiving. That's a tall order, but that's why we're talking about antecedent-based strategies and planfulness as part of that. So, again, to kind of cover up our, or to, to wrap up our first point here is Setting up to demonstrate that replacement behaviors, functionally equivalent ones will receive greater reinforcement and undesired behaviors, and then we added a whole bunch of stuff there. Segwaying quickly and, and with a little bit of bump in the road here to our second point in what else to plan for as an antecedent-based strategy, right? And we're talking about expecting to be there the whole time as a parent or as a professional who is serving as the teacher or the instructor, or the instructor for the learner, the client in this case. And in thinking about making our shift toward more antecedent-based strategies, not just the consequence base in this linear three-part contingency, uh, probably one of the more important points we'll make today is in considering everything in, in part one, one of the most important pieces to consider is that the main antecedent is going to be a change in their behavior. And as professionals, we come in with all the answers and the deficit model and all the assessments that tell us where the gaps are. And um, we have all the baseline data and all the excessive behaviors defined. And sometimes we come in with preset templates for goals. Sometimes we come in with preconceived notions. But the main antecedent here in terms of our planfulness is we're gonna to have to make a change in something we do, especially if we don't see our data you know, showing the appropriate reduction and replacement increase in other behaviors uh, you know, as, we, as we work toward our objective. So give us your insight there, Mr. Din.
0: Yeah, since behavior is a product of the environment, it's incumbent on us to change that environment to get the behavior that we want to have or we'll increase the likelihood of the behavior that we want over the behavior that we don't want. So that's that kind of antecedent. How are we going to look at what is maintaining it in the environment or hypothesize on what is maintaining it in the environment and make changes to that ahead of time before the environment is enabling the situation to occur that has occurred the last 15 times when they haven't done their homework or they're, they're being difficult. So it's really, really easy. Teachers do this all the time. I think we're a little better in ABA, but we're still very victim of this to, say, oh, I'm going to continue doing the same strategy in the same way, and the kid just needs to learn to adapt their behavior. Very consequence-based. That Every time we do this now, I'm going to punish the kid, and that will decrease the behavior it will. But if behavior is a product of the environment, and we have control over the beginning and the end of the environment, let's look at changing the beginning to get that desired behavior. It just comes down to that environmental manipulation and how in the environment... Based on determinism, we're going to get that behavior to occur that we want to have. And whether that's doing it at a different place, as simple as changing the word homework. Um, some of our therapists, I can think of one specific example. Um, the parent would say, okay, it's time to work with so-and-so. And the kid would always have a tantrum. And the parent literally changed it with, so-and-so is coming. Do you want to play with so-and-so? Just Literally as simple as changing that, that one word had a different result from the client. So the simple environmental modifications that we can do ahead of time, I think are gonna lead to, I I don't think, I know will lead to significant, yes, yes, we can say it's time to work with so-and-so, and and then the kid has a tantrum, and now we're ignoring them, and we're punishing them, and they've lost their video games, and now what opinion do you think they have of the therapist? Well, whenever the therapist comes, I lose my video game. Whereas if we can get ahead of it and say, let's play with so-and-so, And then they have a good time with the therapist. Now they enjoy the therapist, and now we've got a lot of behavioral momentum there. So figuring out what we can do to change the environment, what we can do to change the parent's environment, too. As you said, the parents are the one that are maintaining the kid's behavior. So how are we going to put things in the environment that are going to be contingencies for them are going to lead to just way more productive sessions and an increased likelihood of the desired behavior occur.
1: Uh, A little anecdote that that you reminded me of... um Case I used to work on, and this is pretty common to several cases. But um, and this fits right into your example here, and and, and how we have to change our behavior, and, and kind of harkens or uh, hits upon motivating operations. But similar to your example, um, back in the old days when we were doing uh, home visits, I remember clearly, or how you know how often have we rung the doorbell, and then you hear some instruction about putting something away. And then you hear this tantrum, and then all of a sudden the discussion is, well, yeah, every time you guys arrive, there's a tantrum. (laughs) Right. It must be us, right? Or is it the fact that every time we ring the doorbell because you're a diligent parent and they shouldn't be on their iPad when they're doing ABA, now we're going to insist that you put that iPad away immediately. So now we're authoritarian parent. We're right before we were permissive. And guess what gets associated with that is us, us. yeah. We're the ones that now, in terms of a motivating operation that gets conditioned, represent the loss of something that's desirable. So how would we change that, or how have we changed that? Why don't we entertain that together really quickly, because it leads to some answers that sometimes parents don't like. But the simple answer is, when we're ringing the doorbell, don't tell them to put the iPad away, let us take care of that when we come in, right? But for some reason, I've run into it on several occasions, you know, the parent wants to be diligent, and they are, and I appreciate it, but the notion that we're creating the very problem we're trying to change, and then making an attribution that's rather erroneous, sometimes escapes us, and we don't think about the very fact that we have to just change what we're doing right before that behavior happens, and not that we're evading it. But sometimes we are preempting it, or sometimes we are evading it or or, or postponing it a little bit just to be able to change the script, to change the scenario so that we're not repeating the same old uh, emission of of, uh, behavior. We are part of the habit in anything, whether we're professionals or parents. In any situation that's become habitual, that's undesired, we have to recognize that we are part of that habit. So unless we make a change, we can't expect the learner certainly not a, a highly impacted learner, for example, developmentally speaking, uh, to be the one that makes the first change. Yet again, even from a consequence base, we often approach it that way. You do first than I do, as opposed to let me engage you with a preferred item and then build some momentum and, some, and condition some reinforcement in, with my presence and then shift gears or shift sets into some other activity that now encompasses my my objective here and your goals as well.
0: Yeah, like you said uh, breaking the habit. Life's habitual, right? Under the same antecedents, are going to have the same behaviors and presumably exactly. the same consequences. So, yeah, if you're trying to break a habit, um, determinism or Newton's first law of motion—you know, an object in motion and stay will stay in motion, an object of rest will stay at rest. You're going to do the same things this Thursday that you did last Thursday and the Thursday before that, if unless you make a conscious effort to change something before. Otherwise you're gonna just mindlessly go through the the same the same repetition. So yeah, how do we change those antecedents like we talked about, making the environmental modifications, changing what it's called, looking at what we're doing holistically, and that's the that's the best benefit I think of any the best benefit from a ABA of an ABA service is just coming in and looking at the habits that people have, because you don't know the habits that you have because you're in it. So we come in and we say, hey, do you realize that every time you say it's time to do homework, it's at five o'clock in this table and he hasn't had a snack yet? So having somebody be able to come in and objectively quantify your habits or your routines that's where we come in. And that's, that's the antecedent. How do we, except we've come in and we focus on, instead of saying, do you realize every time that you say it's time to do homework, it's at five o'clock at this table, we tend to come in more often and say, do you realize that every time you say it's time to do homework at five o'clock at this table, your kid screams, and then this is what you do when your kid screams. Instead of focusing on that, which we, we've done, it's more important to focus on let's, what's happening before your kid screams so we can get them not to scream. And, and that's what you're talking about, and that's what, uh, I guess, the overall message that we want to get across in this, this podcast is, let's figure out how to get the behavior we want to have happen and not the behavior we don't want to have to happen rather than figuring out how to remedy the behavior after the fact.
1: In that sense too, we're often, and I just thought about this as you were speaking, we're creating or we're fabricating um, reinforcement. If that makes any sense, if going back to your homework example, completion of the homework, the tasks, the learning within, the verification that you learned something in class and you could do it by yourself, whatever that is, should be the intrinsic reinforcement. But oftentimes we're coming in, and yes, often with good reason, but we're adding a layer to that that then won't generalize or affects generality in many ways, and then we have trouble fading. So what you're talking about is is we certainly don't talk about enough in the field, and that's that... We've, we've fabricated a need for consequence-based uh, strategies and almost sole reinforcement use in that sense. Again, using your, your homework example as the sole example here, work completion and actually negative reinforcement and being able to now put that away and go play as the positive re- reinforcement, that should be the, uh, you know, the, the, the real initial reinforcer. Maybe the, the play is now the placeholder, right? You know that your video game system is waiting for you. But the initial part is I finished my math sheet, and I, my dad sat with me and, and checked them all, and they were all right, and he had, I had his attention. And then now I'm actually getting to play the video games along with my dad for a little while. So we often uh, add a different layer to it that's a little bit more contrived, a lot more extrinsic, and we know we're guilty of that. That's something that we all talk about in terms of how it's affected our generality. Um, in, you know, over over now many years of, of in-home practice, for example, with uh, individuals with ASD. So, yeah, you just made me think of that. So, just to, to kind of try to put a, a a bow on our second point here, we we talk any sitting-based strategies, we're still largely trying to move away from our consequence base, and looking at the overall picture here, the maybe the main antecedent discussion, antecedent-based discussion is, how are we changing what we're doing as parents, what we're doing as professionals, BCBAs, RBTs, in those situations where we feel stuck or where behavior change seems difficult. Now, within that, this idea that maybe the child or the client doesn't do first, that we do along with, as we expect to be there the entire time, And also shifting the paradigm on this, again, this very strong notion of first, then, all the time. You always have to do first for me, and then you receive reinforcement, whereas an antecedent, maybe I'm building rapport, engagement with those things I know are, or or I assume are reinforcing or or are preferences, uh, as however they've been defined. And then again, somehow I can shift gears or shift sets with you and get you to do what the objectives of our of our treatment are so i'll hand that back over to you there sir
0: yes exactly like you said mike the first then does work but who needs to do the first and who needs to do the then <laughs> like you mentioned in in teaching right think about math right it's not like the teacher's like the first time you've ever done addition is like 2 plus 2 you show me how to do it and then i will give you a reinforcement wait what that that's not going to work because you're going to get it wrong you're not going to get a reinforcement, and then you're going to get a no, try again, and you're you're not going to get it. What does the teacher do? The teacher does it first, and then you do it. So that's that's how, how we can do it as well. Maybe, maybe the kid doesn't know how to play with something appropriately, or how to how to do something. Let's model that. Let's show them, and let's not let's make our. We don't like it when people do first thens on us all the time. And yes, they're kids, and. As a result of not paying rent, they have to do what the parents say they have to do for sure until they're 18. But nonetheless, maybe we can take it a coming on ourselves for us to do things first and then they respond and then we do things and they respond and now there's some sort of reciprocal relationship instead of us coming into the home and saying, okay, like the iPad, yoink, that's not my iPad and first you need to do stuff to earn your own iPad that you were just playing with before you got there back. That seems a great way to create some conditioned aversus.
1: Sure, and the idea that, again, and we're both you know pragmatic, we understand the fear of if I don't make them do the homework first, then I'm going to f- let them play video games for a few minutes and then face the same resistance I've been facing. And yes, that's quite possible. But at that point, you're going to enforce the same consequences that you had before if they didn't complete their work, which is now... They don't get any more video game time, to use that example. Uh, So you don't really lose any ground, but for some reason, from an authoritarian perspective as parents, as professionals, again, we're stuck on this first then, you do first for me. I certainly have a couple clients, and it was scary the first couple times where the client pitched the idea of, you know, can I play a little bit first before the homework? And it's like, (laughs) you know, you're going to look like a sucker if this doesn't work out. But when it does work out, there's a tremendous amount of trust. I know we can't quantify that. And again, it doesn't mean that your kid's going to do that every time. They're going to try to squeeze more video game time or preferred activity time, especially with you, all the time over homework for the most part. But you can start teaching differential or differentiating. If you, if you want to sucker me on this contingency and you don't you know, uh, make good on your end, then you're only going to get those 10 minutes. Where if you finish your homework now, you got those 10 minutes before, and if I'm a good professional or parent that walked you through this, I'm going to play with you for those whatever minutes after. So you're getting the video game, you're getting my attention, you got my praise on finishing your homework and the precision of it. All those things that sometimes we all put in one basket, which is, oh, are you done? Okay, good job. Now you get 30 minutes of video game time. Wow, that's a that's really boiled down in terms of reinforcement. So again, we're talking consequences right now, but we're really talking about planfulness, task analyses, differentiating your consequences, um, planning for a long list of uh, functionally equivalent replacement behaviors that you might reinforce. How are you going to change uh, your behavior? in a positive way consistently that leads to the desired outcomes, but also be ready to differentiate your behavior. So you're modeling those differentiations and those things that could also work so that we're not being robotic and old school. So it's a big task. Uh, we're up to the challenge. I think that we've got the right set of tools. So yes, from an antecedent-based perspective, we should begin using them more. Um, Mr. Dent, we are nearing the end of our uh, allotted time, or the limit we try to put on ourselves. So we've got two solid points, very, very content thus far in the way this conversation has developed. Let's segue uh, quickly and efficiently into our third point, and we've already been talking about it throughout the entire episode. Uh, would you like to talk about in avoiding insanity? Uh, what I allude to is rewriting the script, something that's become you know very common in our discussions, and, and right from point number two. How are you going to change your role, your line in this habitual scene so that the learner, the client, your child uh, also has a chance to change their behavior in an effort to receive uh, different consequences?
0: Yeah, that just goes back to the, the director piece of how are we going to change that? How do we change that script? So we just have to look at behavior being a product of the environment and not internal, right? That's the one unique thing that ABA does is it looks at behavior as an external um, issue, not an internal issue. So if it's not a product of something internal and it's a product of something external, something I did ahead of time or last time a similar behavior happened afterwards is going to manifest a similar behavior this time. So how do I cognitively figure out what's going on and change my behavior. So some common ways we do it are just changing the way things are called, um, changing the reinforcement or letting them know what it is ahead of time, making myself reinforcers. Like you mentioned, looking at other, looking at behavior as multivariate. So, yes, I want you to do this math problem and do it correctly, but there's also you physically writing on the paper. There's you sitting down. There's you not arguing with me. There's all sorts of other behaviors that are going on concurrently with that that I might be able to reinforce even if the terminal behavior isn't uh, acceptable enough to be reinforced.
1: So, and in, and in, in you run the risk of, of uh, feeling permissive as a parent or as a professional, but the, the idea here is we got to get something started somewhere, right? And, and as opposed to this idea that you're not doing your homework, now you're going to sit down and write, finish every problem in perfect penmanship and... Make sure that it's precise, and you're not going to complain not once, or otherwise you don't get your video game time. So now I'm authoritarian, but as soon as you say "f you, mom or dad," you rip up the paper, break the pencil, throw the book, have a tantrum. Now you're completely out of control. Now you're permissive. So somewhere, yeah, somewhere in there, are you sitting? Um, can I can I help you write the answers as you process them? Again, the, you know, huge. Com- accommodation and very, very possible accommodation within an IEP, certainly a technique that we would use in trying to uh, shape toward the desired behavior of they sit in front of their worksheet and take the pencil and do the calculation and write down the correct answer. Uh, so having to to, to not uh, you know meticulously outline or task analyze all those things, but be aware of all the pieces that are required in terms of the sustained attention, any of that, and shape accordingly, you know, and, and continue to, to chain or, um, you know, to add uh, pieces to, to expand, to make progress with, knowing that you're going to start somewhere and move ahead gradually. Learning is very, very gradual. Uh, but again, changing that script with the idea that you're not doing your homework, and now suddenly because I've put away your video game system and said that you're not going to get it until you finish your homework... That it's going to be you know, a magical moment, and, and now the kid is doing the homework, and it's beautiful, and it's precise. So in that, what I'm saying is maybe your kid's and, and doing what, the homework, but they're complaining the whole time. Do they get their video game system or not, Dan?
0: And why are they, are they doing it to get good grades? Or are they doing it to please you? Or are they doing it solely to get access to their video games?
1: Exactly. System? So all things we haven't And are haven't they going to do defined. a good job?
0: Or are they going to do a quick job to get to their video game system quicker? Yeah.
1: And how do you define all those things, right? So is it going to start with one problem, two problems? Are you going to make uh, modifications or accommodations? And again, knowing that do you, you're going to want all this and a good attitude at first and no errors and no complaints and no gripes before they earn the very thing that they were earned, that they didn't have to earn before this, but now from today to tomorrow, they have to earn it? And you don't expect any grievances? Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> but it's not to say you don't have to get any grievances. We're going to prepare for those grievances and for those behaviors. We've created the situation. So if we don't want those admitted then we better spend some time on the front end, creating the motivating operation, the rapport, the engagement, and then shifting gears. But again, we often, our script currently in ABA would be first then, and it's often you do for me, then I do for you. Uh, We're not saying that's incorrect as much as it's time to expand on that. And from a planful antecedent-based perspective, start considering all the differentiations, change our script in that sense so that we're ready to reinforce differentially some aspect of uh, behavior that's acceptable in that setting, whether, you know, it's related to the actual objective or not, anything that's workable that is incompatible or otherwise different from, you know, with the homework example, breaking the pencil, tearing the book, what have you, all those things that we're familiar with as parents and professionals. Change the script
0: always easier to deal with a situation before it's hit the fan than to deal with it after it's hit the fan and that's the the moral of this this thing is how do we make it so it doesn't hit the fan how do we move the proverbial stuff away from the fan or move the direction of the fan so that it doesn't hit the fan and now we don't have a whole big cleanup job so that antecedent is going to be super important uh, how do we deal with it before we have that guess, big cleanup job so let me pass it back to you, Mike, for the, uh, for the recap. And we'll put a bow on it and send people into their holidays uh, feeling good about antecedent strategy.
1: And so we've got antecedent-based strategy procedures, we should say. And when we say strategies, we tried to uh, expand on that topic a little bit in terms of planfulness especially. So you're having to do all these things beforehand, and even the consequences, prepare for differentiation. So number one, setting up to demonstrate that replacement behaviors... Uh, and functionally equivalent ones, behaviors, will receive equal or better, greater reinforcement than the undesired behavior, and expecting to be there the whole time for this learning process. Uh, Number two, very, very succinctly, the main antecedent is the change in our behavior toward a consistent outcome, meaning we're going to make a change until we see a desired change in the Learner's behavior, and then we're going to maintain for a little while there until we have to change our behavior to teach something new or to uh, create variation uh, in, in or differentiation in those skills. So, again, the main point there being that it's always going to start with us. It has to start with us. Uh, so in those situations, when we come in with the best practices and ABA and these procedures that have been put on these wonderful worksheets for us and in training, and they're not working, yeah. You're going to have to make a change. Uh, these are all just exemplars, and we have to stay dynamic as a field. And then thirdly, and again most importantly, and not new to this show, avoid the insanity, rewrite the script, rewrite the script, your role in that script. So know what a script is, a behavior plan, all those curriculums that we do put forth, and know that variations are fun in that. Your improvisation toward better outcomes, uh, toward differenti- uh, differentially reinforcing Uh, behaviors that maybe you didn't plan for, maybe you did, but that fit the notion and move away from undesired behaviors. So really a lot more planfulness and dynamism in terms of our approach to how you implement not just the predefined antecedent-based strategies, but now how you're planning ahead in their use as well as their use in conjunction with our very, very strong and well-used consequence-based strategies. So... Mr. Dan, we had a, we've had a really, really rich discussion on this. I really like the organic prog- uh, progression, again, that we've had in terms of arriving at uh, episode 10 here. Um, I believe, I, I believe it will be episode 10. I hope I get that right in the total chronology on antecedent-based strategies. Good to see you, sir. Keep staying safe. Always analyze responsibly. Absolutely. Cheers, Mike. Enjoy some holiday eggnog. Cheers, man. Take care.